AI wasn't really developed to talk to people. It was developed to, to be able to manage lots of data at the same time. And it's evolved into something that, you know, there's no doubt it's going to be a communication tool. And it is effective in a lot of ways right now. The thing is, is knowing where to deploy it. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Ted Rubin, founder and CEO of Active Engage. It sells managed digital solutions, helping automotive dealers sell and service more cars through an enhanced customer journey. Ted is a leading expert on operations management, process deployment, technology development, and personnel management. He's built multiple successful businesses over his career, has over 25 years of automotive industry experience, and has consulted with several Fortune 100 tech and service companies on business development process. Ted, welcome to the show. Hi, how you doing? Great to be here. Good, thanks. So, so you know, it, clearly you're, you know, you're selling a, a digital solution, um, but what's the biggest problem that you are solving? For your clients who are auto dealers, um, the biggest problem is 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 primarily time and consistency. Um, you know, the anybody who's you know called into a dealership or you know tried to reach out to a dealership in the past, you know, it's it's difficult. These are huge entities that they're running, and you know, the average dealership's about a hundred people or more. Um, and so you you know they're interacting with customers for sales, for service, for accounting, for uh, you know, getting their registrations and things like that, body shop, all those different things and all the different pieces of all those things. So uh, saw a need, you know, early on um, to kind of evolve the communications with the customer to make it more effective for the customer to be able to get what they needed and also for the dealers to have some consistency. So uh, it takes, you know, we have a lot of trainers that, you know, look at the data and look at the conversations and evolve those conversations in a very significant way to be able to get the most efficiency and quality out of those conversations. And that would be a gigantic task, you know, for the dealerships to try to do that. And so kind of, you know, I grew up in the dealerships and, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, ran uh, all the different aspects, you know, in different areas of the dealers and, um, and work for some really big entities that service them as well. And what we've found, what I found was that, you know, there was this niche where, you know, I would get contracted to come in and train the salespeople how to handle phone calls. And, you know, a month or two later, they'd call again and again and again. And so, you know, they got a lot to do. And so there's a lot of stuff that's going on. And so we felt, you know, that there was an opportunity to be able to go in and say, look, we can do this really effectively. We can train our people to do this and then use the data from every conversation to have another and another and another and do it building on the quality of each conversation and do it in a very consistent way, but also do it in a way that was really uh, uh, effective for the dealer and as well, very efficient and high quality for the customer to maintain that relationship, right? It's always about maintaining that relationship with the customer. 
Of course, of course. So you 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 mentioned that you you know, you'd be brought in to do training, and then you know again and again and again. And was that due to or what was that due to that you had to keep going? I mean, it was loss of people, turnover. I mean, people just didn't get what they were supposed to be doing. Yeah, I mean, it's you know this they was didn't have the, a CRM, <laughs> whatever. I, they didn't have a CRM sometimes. I mean, this was early, and you know, uh, uh, I've been in the industry for longer than I'd probably like to talk about. I've been in the yeah, industry for you know 25 it. plus years. And mm-hmm. um, they, there was a lot of, there was turnover for sure. But I mean, you know, I've, we've built a whole company around how to have the best conversations, you know, regardless of medium uh, with the customer. So I have a whole company that does that. So how would you produce that interest store? You know, it would take a huge effort to be able to do it. And there's, there's a lot to do. You know, there, you have to be able to receive the phone call or the chat or the text or the email or whatever it's going to be. You have to be able to have access to the information. You have to be thoughtful about the way that you're communicating and the mode that you're using to do so. You know, I think that's, you know, what we really did as a company was, you know, we wanted to use tech to produce a much more human approach to the consumer interactions, right? And so, you know, from all my background, you know, my leadership style is sort of to, is, is sort of to be very intentional um, in the way that, you know, you kind of wordsmith things and the way that you communicate and interact with employees, with customers, with vendors, with all of it. And so that carries forward. Um, and so we wanted to use that um, thoughtfulness um, and intention to, you know, produce better conversations that were more intentional and that more, more contextual and more impactful for the dealers and the customers, you know, to make life easy for them. And the, the dealers, some dealers do it really well, you know, and other ones don't, you know, the ones that did it really well, they weren't calling and saying, Hey, you know, I need you to do this, but it's, it's tough to do. It's a business of its own is kind of the point that I was making. And, um, you know, to maintain it for very high quality across, you know, all the changes that happen and all the different mediums that are now coming into play, which they weren't there, you know, early on in the late nineties and yeah. the early two thousands. Uh, so mm-hmm. it was easier to do it then and now, it's, and they were still having the problems now it's much more complex and you have to know who you're talking to. And it's different if it's video, it's different if it's just audio, it's different if it's text uh, SMS versus chat on a website, or if it's texting on social media. Um, so all of those things impact, uh, the way that you're going to communicate. And then you have to start worrying about, well, what's the content and how do I want to do this? And what is the customer saying? And am I paying attention? (laughs) So there's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack. No kidding. Um, so tell me a little bit about uh, you know, as, as we've already both just, you know, talked about, you've spent your whole life, your whole career in the automotive industry. Um, tell me about your journey from, I don't know if you got your degree at, um, University of Florida, left school early, um, and, and, and your journey to where you are now. And when you had this epiphany that this is a problem that really needs solving. Oh, it was a very long, weird, journey to get here. So um, I did go to school. I went to UF and, um, and uh, graduated uh, uh, from there um, yeah, and went back and went to business school and went uh, to Columbia actually for, for most mm-hmm. of it. I left there a little bit early 
Um, but, uh, went into the automotive industry. Um, and, uh, that was a fluke, uh, and it would take way too long for me to explain how that happened. But I literally started, you know, in the car wash department and kind of work through all the different departments through parts, service, mm-hmm. sales, mm-hmm. sales management, you know, dealership management. Um, I was the national director of field operations and e-commerce at AutoNation. And, you know, that's where they really were putting together the structure of how to communicate and how to interact with customers through an online portal, which was just a website at that time. Right, um, right. And so it was a you know spectacularly great team that I got to work with, and it was very new to me, and it was a big big company, um, and they really uh, you know they figured it out, you know they they figured it out before anybody had figured it out, or even thought about trying to figure it out, and so they put a lot together, um, and it, and it's changed and kind of oscillated and gone in different directions since then. Certainly, and other people mm-hmm. have figured out different types of things. Um, but that initial team that was there was just profoundly thoughtful and smart. And all the people that were in there had real expertise in whether it was in marketing or operations or different areas and big, big companies. And, and, and I was a dealer operations person. That's how I was brought mm-hmm. in, as well as a technical person because of my development background. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, and we did really well. And then most of us went off. I think all of us honestly went off to do some really interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's kind of how it got me, you know, to where we are today. I had another company before this one, which was CRM. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I felt like there was a niche there where it hadn't really uh, uh, materially uh, uh, evolved into where they were capturing the data for later use. And so that's why we produced mm-hmm. CRM at that particular time. Um, and then a- after running these dealerships and after, uh, you know, working at that very high level and, and consulting for a lot of other dealerships and for some of these other big companies um, that were peripheral, like um, uh, Convergys, Cisco, you know, all, a lot of other companies that were looking to get into e-commerce at that time. Um, and having the CRM company, uh, you know, talking with others, you know, um, we all felt that uh, there was a great place to enter because we were still having this very um, kind of uh, primal conversation about, well, how do you talk to customers? And how do you talk to customers? You know, when you have a website, what do you do with that? And um, uh, so that, that evolved into what is Active Engage, and that evolved into what the company is today. So you founded the company in 2007, so mm-hmm. about you know, 16-ish years ago. Um, did you go out for, uh, investment or did you bootstrap? Uh, it's bootstrapped. It's still bootstrapped. Um, we, uh, uh, we did take some, uh, friends and family money, uh, but, mm-hmm. uh, very, very nominal. Um, and it was, it wasn't even in the very beginning, the, the companies I've had four other companies and I've started them all bootstrapped and, and, and the intention is, uh, and, and when I've spoken to other entrepreneurs or spoken, yeah. you know, to kind of crowds about it, it's like, you know, if you, there's certainly things you can't do that with. And, and those are smarter people than me because they're developing these huge, huge entities. But um, just, just in my mind, the way that it is to build a company and to lead a company, you want to put it together um, and kind of prove out the premise of what it is uh, before mm-hmm. you go to try to evolve it you know, in a significant way with other money. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's the way that I've always done it. And, and, you know, sometimes you're choking on it because, you know, you don't have other money and so you got, you're fighting through <laughs> right. it. But I think that that also really pushes you, you know, to do everything that you can to kind of look in every corner and to really fight through, um, making sure that you're doing the right things and that you're doing everything that you conceivably mm-hmm. can to accomplish mm-hmm. what it is that you're trying to as a charter. And a lot of times you find, you know, that you're really not in the right direction. You're either too broad and you need to narrow that down, or maybe you need to open it up a little bit because you're not exactly on target and there's other things that you can Mm -hmm. accomplish, but you find that out when you're forced to, when you're forced to make decisions that are, well, you know, we can go this way or this way, but if I'm wrong, then we may not be here tomorrow. <laughs> so right, right. it's better to do that when nobody has investment in early stage than it is, you know, once you, you know, have millions of dollars. So, you know, one of the, one of the big things that people are always, you know, that I find and people certainly uh, founders are, I think often go through is like, so how many were, people were there on your sort of the, the initial team? Um, the, when we first started, there were three of us. Um, and, you know, working, <laughs> you know, and everybody was that, working. So that was my next question. Yet. So this was basically your side gig until you, until you had money to no, go at it full time. No, this was, this was it, you know? Um, so, so you all walked away from your businesses. Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, it, so I had a previous business, there was nothing and I had sold it. And so there was nothing to walk away from. Right. Um, so I was it. kind of on hiatus at that time. And, Um, Mm -hmm. and and this opportunity kind of came up and we started thinking about it and talking about it and we said, okay, let's do it. Um, which we did. Um, and then, you know, pretty quickly we needed to start adding personnel. So, you know, you know, even though day one, it was really like, like three people, two, three people, um, within, uh, you know, a month or so, you know, as we were launching and getting things going, um, we were probably five to seven, uh, within the first year, I think that we were mm-hmm. at uh, 11 to 15 and, mm-hmm. you know, we ramped up, we ramped up pretty fast actually after that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's the kind of business where it's, it's very personnel heavy. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, you know, we started to need a lot of people uh, over a short period of time hiring you know, a a technology person, a a CIO, we had to hire someone to manage the people who were having Mm -hmm. the conversations and that came up very Mm -hmm. quickly. Um, And, uh, you know, then, then sales became, you know, something that needed to happen. So kind of the core that you're seeing today Mm -hmm. uh, are really, you know, with few exceptions, they're the same people that were there right at the beginning, you know, so my COO was, you know, was handling chat conversations, you know, in the beginning. And, and she came from an extensive background too, but she was managing, you know, five people, then 10 people, then 20, 30, 50, a hundred and so on. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So did you, did you find, you know, you mentioned you took, you know, a little bit of friends and family money. Um, that probably wasn't enough to pay all your people. So, you know, were, were you coming up or, you know, did you take, and again, there's reasons I'm asking these questions, sure. not, you know, to be personal, but to, to, you know, did you take loans? Did you use the money that you had sold your other company for to fund it, you know, until you started making money? And when did you actually start making money? Uh, so, uh, we, I did use some of the money from the previous sale, you know, to help subsidize what was going yeah. on. Um, 
and, and actually there's some uh, 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 employees who have or have had you know some ownership at some point for mm-hmm. sure um, but the we became profitable uh, after the first year uh, at really within wow. the first year um, that's amazing and how did, uh, so tell me how that happened <laughs> Uh, it was just a lot not, of work. That's sort of the exception. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was just a tremendous amount of work, you know, and focus. I think that we had a good premise. Um, you know, I think mm-hmm. that we knew the industry and we knew what we were trying to accomplish. Um, yeah. And and our assessment of of where to enter into the market was the right one. You know, that's that was mm-hmm. smart and lucky at the same time, which is the best kind. Um, of course it is. And... And we just did it the right way. And I mean, there was, mm-hmm. there was a lot of things that we did that, that, you know, would be, you know, much easier as a 30 or 40 year old than, you know, a 50 year old <laughs> that I don't know that I could accomplish anymore. Um, right. You know, or, or my team, but you know, it was definitely, it was definitely just major effort. Yeah. You know, I've said before, you know, that if you're going to be an entrepreneur and you want to put a company together, then you know, what's going to make it survive is you, you either will will it to work or it won't, you know, it's that, right. it's pretty much, that's it. You know, it's, it's yeah. not, it, it's certainly a matter of, did you pick the right thing? And do you have some luck? And all those things are certainly involved, but I think the biggest factor in having entrepreneurial success is, you know, is your will to succeed stronger than pretty much everything else that exists that's fighting mm-hmm. against you? <laughs> Yeah, I, I would, I would absolutely agree. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've met, I would say virtually every single founder that I've ever met that has been successful has had that. Right. Right. Um, no, I agree. You know, the, the commitment to make it the commitment to really getting that this is, this is something people need. And I didn't just make this up. Um, you know, there's evidence that people need this. Right. Um, you know, and then the ones that just don't get that or try to do everything themselves tend to not succeed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, it's, you know? it's super easy to get scope creep, you know, just that's a, de- you know, developers say that and you can get that on a company, yeah. right. Where you're just like, oh, well, someone mm-hmm. wants this and can I go off and do that? And I just need to right. make money now. And, you know, do I want to take on this other thing? And sometimes yeah. you don't have a choice. And some of those things, you know, it, it is a lot about the decisions that you make. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to have such a strong commitment to, to wanting, not just to wanting to succeed, but to succeeding. It has to be that or you're falling off a cliff. You know, it's just, that's what it is. And if you have that, uh, and if you have, um, done your research and you know, the industry and you're not just picking things out of the sky, which I don't think most people do. Um, Mm -hmm. and if you have a little bit of luck as well, uh, then, you know, you'll probably succeed, you know, but you do there. Sometimes there's ways around the luck because, you know, people, and sometimes there's ways around the knowing what you want, because you can kind of jostle and readjust a little bit as you're going, but there's no way around. You just have to want it to mm-hmm. succeed so much yeah. that you're going to make it happen. Yeah. That's the only thing that is just like you, every founder that I've ever talked to has gone through, you know, the worst time in the world. And the stories are just catastrophically mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, and by the time I'm having the conversation, they're successful and they're doing well, but everybody goes through that and it's just, it's a rite mm-hmm. of passage, you know, it just is what it There's is. No question. Uh, what's the competitive nature of your business? Um, 
So uh, we certainly have competitors. We've had competitors off and on throughout, you know, throughout time, um, you know, mostly right now. So, you know, we, we have a particular set of products and features uh, where we're just dead on focused, you know, on messaging. And so there's some other companies out there that have, uh, they have messaging with the tools that are really their primary focus. You know, there's a couple of companies that that used to com, uh, compete a little bit more, but now their focus is really on digital retailing. And uh, we have some other companies that that um, never focused uh, in any way on messaging before. And now they've kind of added, mm-hmm. you know, some kind of some type of messaging, like some chat or some maybe some texting capabilities and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um but you know, we were the first to come out with a managed messaging solution um, okay. where we were handling the conversations on behalf of the customers. And certainly, you know, after the first two to three years, you know, we had evolved the software so significantly that we said, you know, this can be released to people who want to do it themselves. But our our initial intention was really that we were going to be able to do it better than anybody else because we were telling people how to do it anyway. Um, and so, you know, the first iterations of the software, they weren't very pretty because they didn't need to be, you know, or we went to market as a managed messaging solution. We'll do this for you, save you time, handle the conversations more effectively on your behalf, deal with the customers, you know, and then get you the information that you need to continue that journey with the customer Mm -hmm. to the sale or service or whatever it was. So, um, we've stayed true to that the entire time. Uh, and I think that's a testament, you know, our, I think where we are that, you know, some some people have kind of peeled off from, you know, focusing on messaging is really a testament to the fact that, you know, we we do it better than anybody else. And so I think that, works. you know, the, the 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 competitors that that kind of compete poorly or that kind of have not really focused on competing with us, um, it's because it's tough to do, you know, we're really good at it because it's the only thing we do. Just like anybody, mm-hmm. if that's the only thing they do, if the only thing that they right. do is, you know, write the word G, then, you know, it's going to be the prettiest, nicest, best looking letter mm-hmm. G that you're ever going to see because mm-hmm. that's the only thing that they do. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that, you know, that's, that's what gets a lot of companies into trouble is they try to be all things to all people, right. um, which is never effective. No. I don't use that word easily. Never. Um, you know, and I mean, this is what's happened with, you know, so many of these mammoth companies who just, you know, keep acquiring and acquiring and acquiring, um, you know, they, they, and they've done this for, you know, whatever reason, right? I mean, sure. you know, you look at Oracle who started out as a database vendor and, you know, all the companies that they have acquired and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and, you know, companies, you know, companies do this all the time to, to have growth right. and I think to get rid of their competitors yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and I think the question is, um, do they still not sell the best products? Right. And I would assert likely not anymore, right? They just got way too much going on. Yeah, I think it's really tough. Look, I mean, I think it's harder for a small company, you know, or a small-ish company um, to do many different things um, because you're small, you know? I mean, if you're if you're under 100 million, then... Not that that's, you know, I mean, comparatively, that's, 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 that's small to most industries uh, that, that we're talking about. 
And, you know, it's tough to get distracted and it's easy to get distracted and, you know, just kind of, oh, I can go into this other thing and I can do that other thing. And so I think it, it starts to degrade. And I think that, you know, if you're testing the waters and you kind of want to go off in another direction, you know, then that's fine. And you can do that for some of the bigger companies, you know, I, it just depends how well they do it when they keep the founders engaged or if they keep the old CEOs engaged, even, you know, to kind of divisionally run their stuff. I think that they can be pretty successful as well. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, it becomes a listening exercise, right? It's like, are you going to let them do what they know how to do? Or are you going to want to be like, have them talk and ignore them and kind of go off and do it? Well, I, I, think, I think often it's the latter or it ultimately becomes the latter, right? No, I agree. So, yeah, you know, and, and that's, I think that's another conversation where we may go down a rabbit hole. So with that said, <laughs> what are some of the biggest challenges that you are facing at Active Engage at this point? And are those the same challenges that you think other people in your industry are facing? Um, I mean, you know, as far as challenges for Active Engage, you know, we're we're just trying to evolve the conversations. The, I think the weirdest thing that's that's odd for us is, and this is specifically an Active Engage thing, which is so we've been doing this longer than anybody else who's in business right. now for for automotive. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, we were people, you know, this is all very human run, right? So all the conversations mm-hmm. are by people and all the convert there's, you know, there's nothing where you're talking to a bot or a robot or, you know, you're not interacting with someone who has empathy mm-hmm. for you and understands the process and has bought a car themselves before. Everybody's done that, right? So we all are yeah. aware of what the difficulties are that you may be having as a customer. And we're mm-hmm. aware of what the needs are for the dealership to be able to do this effectively. You know, those are our customers as well, the dealers mm-hmm. and, and the OEMs and the manufacturers. So, you know, to service the customer, you have to be aware of, okay, well, what, what do they need to be able to continue this process? And and, you know, there are things out there, you know, the AI is a great tool and, um, you know, we, we uh, you know, are building things like that into our system or have built pieces of it into our system. And, and I think it's how you leverage that kind of stuff um, mm-hmm. that makes it valuable or not. Where it's not valuable is on the front end of a conversation where, you know, the bot greets the customer, the customer ask, you know, one or two questions and you don't know it's a bot or you kind of suspect that it is and it immediately like doesn't really know what you're asking. And, you know, AI wasn't really developed to talk to people. It was developed to give definitions of things or to do searches and other things and to be able to manage uh, lots of data at the same time. And it's evolved into something that, you know, there's no doubt it's going to be a communication tool. And it is effective in a lot of ways right now. The thing is, is knowing where to deploy it. And so, yeah. You know, we've had people come into the fray that um, that use bots on the front end, and it, it for a little while it became an assumption from a lot of our potential customers that that's just what everybody did, and so that's a kind to of kind of capture them yeah. initially, yeah. And so that's yeah. a okay. differentiating piece for us because you know right from the get go you have a live person that you're talking to, so they're going to interact with you with more depth and with more yeah. intention than. Then, you know, mm-hmm. something that has no soul, no humanity, it's just, you know, it has mm-hmm. direction and it's yeah. smart, but it doesn't really, mm-hmm. you know, it's not feeling you, you know, it doesn't really, you know, understand what you're doing. It can just take in the information and spit something back out. And, you know, we yeah. also know that there's huge value to that and in incorporating all those pieces into the way that we work. I don't want to tell you that we don't have it because, 
it's not it's not that we don't like AI or that we don't use AI. It's more that it's being thoughtful about where it gets used and what kind yes. of information you're giving it access to to convey to the customer, where it interacts with the customer, making sure as well that the customer is aware when they're talking to a bot and aware when they're talking to a person. Because the, the, the best way to disenfranchise a customer, and there's been a million studies on this, but... Uh, or maybe not literally a million, but there's been plenty. I, I can attest to what you're about to say. Yeah, yeah, that, you know, if you start chatting or texting or whatever, and they don't tell you that it's a bot, and then you find out it's a bot because of this kind of crappy, you know, difficult interface with it, yeah. then yeah. that customer is gone forever. They will hate you. <laughs> you know? And mm-hmm. it's just, it's not something that is effective. Um, and again, that doesn't yeah. mean that, I'm against AI or, or machine learning. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. we have to be involved with all that stuff. It is, it's there for efficiency. It's there for accuracy. It's there for monitoring and making sure that, you know, mm-hmm. that, that you're going down the right road. And, and it will become something that's super effective, I think, mm-hmm. uh, for everybody to use. But At some point, yeah. I don't want our customers or any customers, you know, that's kind of yeah. a fight sometimes is, you know, well, we don't use it on the front end. Some will say... Oh, I thought everybody used it on the front end. And others will be saying, well, why don't you use it on the front end? You have to explain it. So, <laughs> Right. Well, yeah. yeah. You know, so, so you, you know, you're prepared for those questions. You know, you're going to get them. It's this typical, you know, ha- knowing how to handle the objection, right? Yeah, that's right. It's just, I'd rather not, that's a point where I'd rather not have to even have that conversation, right? I mean, in the very beginning of chat, this is funny, I think, you know, in the very beginning when we were doing this, it was actually more thought that it was going to be a bot. So we used to get questions like, are you a bot? And we'd say no. And they'd say, okay, well, what's the weather like? (laughs) Who won the baseball (laughs) game last night? You know, so they ask all kinds of weird questions like that. Uh, (laughs) And now, you know, 15, 17 years Mm -hmm. later, Actually, if you were using a bot, it could probably answer those questions also. <laughs> well, it, it probably could, especially if they're using chat GPT. Right. But again, that's another, convers- yeah, that's right. another that's conversation. That's another conversation. So, so you know, I think that, um, I mean, I think that it, the interesting thing, you know, to your point, bot versus human uh-huh. and that the whole move toward chat, right? And, and and where are you going to really piss off a customer? And they're going to say, you know, screw you, I'm out, right? right? Um, you know, I, I have to wonder, and maybe it's just because, you know, I'm a Gen Xer and I'm, you know, becoming a dinosaur. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm being facetious. Um, that there are still things that I just don't want to do over chat. And for me... Okay, personally, like like for me, that is when I need support. Right. Because of how I learn personally, mm-hmm. it's really hard for me to understand when somebody sends me an email. I'm not dyslexic, right. I don't have any issues learning, but you know, over 50% of people, uh, 50 over 50% of receivers of the written language, be it chat or or email, misinterpret the message. <laughs> no, I agree. Yeah. So I have to wonder if um, if there is not some happy medium where both of these things can work because sometimes, you know, some of the, the companies that I use, the vendors that I work with, mm-hmm. you can't get anybody ever on a phone. Right. And, and the amount of time that it takes me, I look at what my hourly rate is mm-hmm. <laughs> and I look at the amount of time I have now wasted 
with that person. Right. I mean, I, you know, I have employees that can do a lot of this for me, but not everything. Right. Sometimes I actually need to be the one that does this. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I could have gotten on a phone call with you and in, in, and in under five minutes, I would have had the problem solved. This is now taken days right. of back and forth. So I'm wondering if, if I'm not the only one experiencing things like that, but you are talking to, you know, and I'm talking to a live person when I'm doing mm-hmm. that or communicating with a live person. If there isn't, you know, what, what, what about people like me who, you know, this kind of solution is not an effective solution? Well, I mean, so, you know, my, as far as my company is concerned, if you're asking about us, then, you know, if you're asking about in general, then, then I'll I'll answer that, I guess, in the second half, because there are things about it that can be satisfied. If you're asking about us specifically, then, you know, we cross into all the different mediums so we can deal with phone and other things like that. We have video, two-way video and all the stuff that goes along with that. Fabulous. So, and it's, you know, and, and it's the learning and using of all the data from all the different conversations that we're having to be able to evolve each type of conversation to be the best that it can be. Now, at the same time, I think that, you know, there, it definitely is the, the technology of doing it and doing it effectively and doing it securely and doing it, uh, you know, as an enterprise solution, some of our customers are, you know, quite large, like General Motors mm-hmm. and AutoNation mm-hmm. and, you know, all these guys, AutoTrader. Um, uh, they, you know, the technology is significant and important. And so as a chat company or a messaging company, you know, we have a lot more going on in the background than, you know, probably the, the average kind of chat or text company. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's also this art form, right? And so we've talked about it a little bit and the way that you communicate the context clues that you have, I mean, just like if you're, you've, I'm sure that you've, and I, I'm going to use car sales because I think it's, that's what I know. And, you know, when you meet a car salesperson that you love and they're great and they're interactive with you and they seem to kind of know what you want without telling you what you want, right? They kinda <laughs> understand, uh, you know, what you're looking for, or what your needs are, and they're there to service you and you feel satisfied with the interaction. That's a, you know, that is a very human characteristic and it's the creative side of who you are that, that handles that. And so there is a style, you know, almost like an artistic style to understanding how to communicate. And so what I think that you're referring to, and you can certainly correct me if, if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. when I get emails or communications that are flat and cold or complicated or, you know, difficult verbiage or, you know, any of those things, then I feel a little disenfranchised. I don't feel like they really know me. I don't feel like they're Mm -hmm. trying to know me. I don't feel like, you know, I'm necessarily being heard or understood. Whereas if I'm reading a communication, and sometimes if I'm reading a communication that's overly simplified, especially in an email, that's not the place for it. And it Mm -hmm. seems a little superficial, but if you know the context of the medium that you're using, I'm on Facebook, I'm on an email, I'm actually on a mm-hmm. text or I'm on the website of a big company and I'm talking. So if you understand where you are and, and the communication that you're using through that medium is justified by that medium, it's as formal as it needs to be, but not more. And you have this... Mm-hmm. You can create this connection, right? Our job is to create this relationship, this connection with the customer. If we can't do that, then we can't really move the customer through it. And the customer is not going to feel satisfied. 
And so, you know, we, and, and just mm-hmm. to kind of tout our own horn a little bit, you know, our conversion, when someone's just on a site and they're navigating around and they, they're, they don't even know necessarily that they're ready to look for a vehicle or look to get service or do whatever they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Our conversion from this person with kind of a blank mind into getting them converted to a lead where we have name and phone number and we know that they're you know looking for this car mm-hmm. and they have a trade and all that kind of stuff, it's 80%. Mm-hmm. So four out of five. Okay. The, wow. the standard in the industry is, you know, roughly, mm-hmm. you know, 60% of that. So, so, you know, to get mm-hmm. there, it's about being present, you know, being mindful of what's going on, paying attention, you know, it would be like fighting through this interview and not listening to the questions yeah. that you're asking and just sort of saying what I want to say. And that's it. You know, and you're going to hear what I have yeah, to say yeah. and it doesn't matter what you're asking. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's not, no one yeah. likes that and no one feels good about that. But mm-hmm. I think that, and at least from our experience that, you know, if you're reading, even if you're reading text for someone like you, who you, you don't really love text and, uh, or you don't love text-based communication, you know, you want to have some jostling around some interaction. If it's someone's handling it the right way, then I'm sure you've had communications or texts with your friends or with your family, and it goes fine, and you actually kind of feel like it goes on longer than maybe even it should have. And it's because you're comfortable with that scenario, <laughs> but you're not comfortable mm-hmm. in the business atmosphere. And it's probably not you. It's, it, it's like, it's not me. It's them. It's not you. It is them. <laughs> and it's because they just aren't, they don't really understand how to have that conversation. And I believe that if you do, I believe strongly that right. if you do, yeah. then you don't have to fight the fight or have the concern that, that a customer like yeah. you will not correspond in the right way. Yeah. Great. Um, Ted, what are some of the mistakes you have made on this journey since you know, in the last 16 years and why, and what have you done to correct them? <laughs> um, just, just, you know, a couple, I'm sure there yeah. been more than that. I, I mean, it's hard to be, you know, really specific about it. I mean, you know, you know as a leader, as a, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, some of the stuff we've done, I mean, when, when, when we started the company, we wanted to be, you know, as, as, as glowing and shiny as we possibly could, you know, and we, you know, bought all kinds of stuff for our employees and gave a bunch of stuff away um, and, you know, we were buying lunches and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know, even for employees, there's a certain amount of, um, they have to feel like they're earning something as opposed to it's just all available for them. That was a weird mistake. I think that we made, we gave away too much stuff. Mm-hmm. It started to feel like they deserved it, yeah. you know, no matter what, even people that didn't. They don't appreciate they it. They didn't appreciate oh, it. Yes. Yeah, that's going on all over the industry. Um, and so it was a little odd for us, you know, because we really looked at it. We're like, dude, we're really, you know, we're trying to be as gracious as possible to get the best people. And what ended up happening was, you know, that that the millennials and younger, they, some of them would be attracted to it, uh, uh, and and some of them would, um, you know. Uh, leverage it and feel good about it for a while, but then it just became, well, that's what we get. Right. And we had first time employees of any company mm-hmm. um, that would leave and expect, well, that's what I'm going to get there too. Right. That's what happens. And, you know, they didn't understand right. the dynamic. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, I, I think that 
Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's part of the human struggle, right? It's a part of our psyche that you have to kind of struggle for things a little bit. You know, you, it's it's definitely great to give things away, and we still do. And mm-hmm. uh, I think we're very gracious to our employees, and and we have a we have an entire mm-hmm. em, like employee based crew. It's called the Culture Crew, and it's a team of people that changes a couple of times a year or more. And there's no leadership, you know, senior leadership on that team or on that group right. and they represent all the different departments and the people within the organization they make deci- you know they make decisions about what do we want to do if nice. we want to have a party or what you know what do we want to do if we want to have a giveaway or how do we want to try to mm-hmm. uh, enhance you know employees uh, work time or or how do we give a better benefit to them um, but you know it's interesting because they do put caveats in for themselves you know they want to see that that's you know, that that's happening, but that's given tremendous direction for us, you know, and our, our director of HR, you know, put all that in place and it's really had a, tr- a huge impact mm-hmm. uh, on our relationship with our employees. But that was, yeah, you know, that was a weird mistake to make. And, and it took us a very long time. Like we couldn't accept that that was a mistake and we had to, um, but that was a weird mistake to, that's really interesting to understand, right. Yeah. That you're actually, it's almost like, you know, if mm-hmm. you're a parent and you're, uh, and I do feel sometimes like a parent to a lot of these people, but you're a parent and you're just giving your kid everything, you know, and there's an expectation of the kid, but they're getting everything either way. Um, mm-hmm. Then they can act yeah. out and they can have other expectations. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, I don't think it's yeah. healthy, you know, for either party in that instance. So that was, that was, that was probably one of the, yeah. the bigger mistakes um, that we had. And yeah. one that was hard to adjust to. And, and also because it's a whole culture, it's hard to steer. You know, it's like steering the, you know, it's like steering a giant ship, but like an aircraft carrier. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time to turn that corner. Mm-hmm. You can realize it really it early. Turn, right? <laughs> but it takes a long time to make that turn. And um and we did. And I I'm thrilled with I've always really loved our team. Um I think that, you know, people work hard and mm-hmm. and we respect all of them and and uh, and we always have, mm-hmm. but I think that the team itself, you know, really deserves the respect and, and, and works hard to get that. And I think this team that we've had for a few years now, for several years, you know, they also, they also have this respect for our customers, for the dealers, for their customers, you know, for the OEMs to people that they're servicing, because it is a, it is a, help, right? You know, we're an advocate for the customer and yet we work for the manufacturer or we work for the dealer or, you know, or we work for right. the the aggregator site. And, and so we have to please both. And if you don't understand that you're helping someone, if you feel like, well, it's just a job, or if you feel like, well, I'm doing this just for you know, our customer, which is the dealer, well, then you're not going to have customers that want to talk to you or that are going to engage. And if you're only doing things for the end customer, well, then the dealer is not going to be satisfied and they're not going to be able to re-engage those customers, which is ultimately going to damage the customer relationship with the dealer. So it, 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 there's a lot more thought that goes into a lot of this stuff than I think that most people think of, especially as people are going to become employees with us. And so we've gotten much better at hiring and, and mm-hmm. thinking about how we're going to employ people. But you know, in those areas, I think that there's been you know, numerous mistakes, some were self-evident and, you know, they're there and others have been, you know, really difficult to nail down and, and things that I just would have never contemplated would have been mistakes. And looking back, it's like, wow, that was, why did we do that? (laughs) 
Well, I mean, I mean, listen, the reality is, is that we all have blind spots, right? And it's, it's those, you know, it's the, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and until you do, that's where it lives until it happens. And then you're like, oh, okay. Hmm. <laughs> we should have done that a little bit differently yeah. or, you know, that didn't work. So, um, so you have about 200 ish employees now. Uh-huh. Tell me a little bit about your talent strategy and you know, you start as you started just to talk a little bit about it, but tell me a little bit about your talent strategy and where you've seen your greatest challenges. I, I don't know that our, you know, our challenges are probably consistent with, you know, a lot of the industries, uh, you know, right now. So, um, you know, we look for IT talent um, and, and development talent. And I, I think that there's an inherent problem there that I kind of, uh, uh, touched on before, which is on the surface, we look like a chat company and they don't realize the depth and the breadth of what we're doing, that it's yeah. messaging. It crosses all these different mediums that the kind of technology that we're using is very cutting edge. Um, that, you know, my CIO came out of the last company, you know, which was a, a CRM company, which is extremely complicated stuff, you know, and we're developing for very, very large uh, we're developing mm-hmm. for individual dealers, of course, but we have to meet the standards as well for right. these incredibly large companies and handling, you know, tens of thousands of transactions at the same time. And so sometimes developers will look when we're advertising for developers and they'll go, oh, it's not going to be that interesting to me. And it's not until they get here that they're like, oh, this is this is much more cutting edge, much more interesting. So we're fighting through getting people who are unqualified to be here and trying to sift through that to get the right guy. Same thing, but a little bit different with, you know, we hire uh, a lot of people who uh, that are, it's just their second job or third job, maybe, Um, you know, in the beginning, we hired a lot of people that it was maybe their first job. In the business, like period. Yeah. And we, Mm -hmm. and we really wanted to teach them and train them and give them a platform to go, you know, to the next thing. And um, and some did, and we have some of those guys that are still there, uh, and others, it, it just became a little bit more mm-hmm. effort, um, because of some of the things that, that I mentioned earlier. So, you know, we look for people that are a little bit more involved now and, um, you know, we diversification is a, is a mm-hmm. big thing for us actually, because that's who the audience is, right? So when that it's a very diversified audience, everybody, the, the U S sells a lot of cars and so does Canada. And that's, you know, two of our primary places, although we are in some others and uh, no matter where you're going, if you're facing the public, then it's a diverse public and that's what it is. So you have to have, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a, a lot of different um, people with a lot of different perspectives, but with one kind of unified goal of what they're trying to accomplish and the way they're going to do it. But every voice is slightly different. And that's what makes, you know, I think a lot of those communications really successful, actually. So um, it's, it's hard to do that. You know, it's hard to look for those people to qualify them. You're literally qualifying someone on the way that they interact with you and trying to sift through, you know, the, the angst or the intensity of an interview relative to the way that they're going to communicate mm-hmm. when, when it's just every day and it's part of the way that their lives are. Right, right, right. Which may be two different things. Which may be exactly. two different things. Um, um, so if somebody were getting into your industry, what advice would you give them? Um, 
so the automotive industry is, is super prolific and um, it's a big industry. Obviously, it's one of the marker industries for the economy and for uh, GMP and everything else. So, um, right. you know, it's a good industry. Um, it's there. There's, uh, you know, there's a lot of tech at one point in the, you know, in the past 20 years, um, you know, the, it, it was one of the top three industries driving technology. You know, technology, the technology industry itself was number one and, and automotive was number three. Um, so there's a lot of interesting technology in the automotive industry. Um, and it depends where you want to enter the industry. Do you want to enter the industry as tech? Do you want to enter the industry in operations? Do you want to enter as a salesperson at a dealership? Do you want to do analytics, statistics, M&A? I mean, you know, this is a whole world of, you know, many, many, many different things uh, people, I, I don't know how much people realize I was always, you know, when I first got into the industry and I started to see the breadth of who the people were and how many, just at the dealership that I was working at at that moment, um, you know, they're like little cities. I mean, the, just the concept of, you know, all the lights in the parking lot and the amount of wattage that they use and how would you change? I mean, it's really, you know, it's that complex. Something as tiny as changing a light bulb could be a day long experience you know, <laughs> to be able to do it. Um, and there's a lot of stuff uh, to, to know and to do. And so we have every piece of business in the automotive industry that everybody else has. I think that there's some other complexities because they cross over. So, you know, individual financing, for vehicles yeah. if you're a consumer um but you know depth of marketing and where they market i mean you, you know these are some of the biggest commercials you'll see you always see them during the super bowl they spend a ton of money and stuff like that mm -hmm. so if you wanted to go into marketing the automotive industry is a great industry to go into like i said tech is was number three at one point i don't know exactly where it is now but there's a tremendous amount of tech and interactive stuff uh, and yeah. building, you know, across multiple platforms and things like that, that uh, lives inside the in industry. A lot of the stuff that has to do right now with video and, the, you know, compression and the way that you see things had to do with trying to show pictures of vehicles or, you know, communicate mm -hmm. to the customer off of websites and those kind of ways. Um, things that have to do with analytics, sales, statistics, um, understanding consumer habits. Uh, what things that other people buy when they're buying a car so that you can determine, you know, when they're going to be in the market to buy a car, all that's part of the automotive industry. I mean, it's a big, big industry with a lot of tremendous amount of diversity. And I would just say, you know, what, what part are you interested in? Um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, and what is your ultimate goal? You know, do you want to run a dealership? Do you want to work in technology? Do you want to, uh, operate, you know, as an entrepreneur, do you want to find that one thing that that only you can find that's a differentiation for a product or a service? Mm -hmm. And it can be a hard product. It can be a type of right. tire. It can be, you know, a service that changes uh, the oil that's taken from all the cars at the dealership or changes, picks up the tires for reclamation or, you know, it could be, uh, right. there's, there's, a, there's so many things. I'm always mm -hmm. surprised at how many different types of vendors um, and people and jobs that the automotive industry incorporates and touches. It's amazing. Right. So if uh, somebody listening to this uh, interview is uh, thinking, oh, this is a pretty cool company. I might like to investigate working for them. What should they do? Uh, they should reach out. Um, you know, you can go to activeengage.com. It's A-C-T-I-V-E-N-G-A-G-E 
dot com. Um, one, one E, not two. One E in the middle, <laughs> not two. Um, although we'll pick it up either way, but uh, technically it's one E. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, and they can submit right from there. Uh, there's contact and there's HR, you know, that's right there. They can call us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, we're, we're perpetually hiring, you know, cause we're growing and, and uh, mm-hmm. always adding new people and new types of positions. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we have a very diversified group, you know, there's, we're here in Maitland in Orlando, Florida. Right. Uh, but you know, we have people all over the country, um, that are working for us in different capacities as well. And so there's yeah. different types of positions that can be remote and others that, you know, that are physically here. Uh, is there anything that we didn't talk about that I didn't ask you that you want to, uh, leave us with? The only thing that, um, I think that is interesting that we kind of didn't touch on is, uh, uh, is kind of these digital natives, right? You know, these, these, there's a whole area of people that we're hiring and that we're having to work with, you know, as customers that, you know, they grew up and they, they, they don't even understand yeah. the world without cell phones, without, right. <laughs> without a lot of things. And so Hence my comment about being a dinosaur. Yeah. So yeah. it's, you know, it is always very new and cutting edge because we're always kind of pushing forward on all this yeah. stuff. And, um, and we have to be, uh, because there's, there, there's always new mediums, right. For the type of communication and, and, and just because they're digital doesn't mean it's the same type of medium, you know, they are different mm-hmm. in the way that you interact. And so, uh, yeah, I would, you know, uh, I, th- I think, that um, as a company, we think a lot about that and how to evolve those conversations. And, and you know, I think that everybody needs to be paying attention to them because they're the next, they're the generation that's going to take over for all of us. And they're the ones that we're communicating with now, right? And I so agree. I just I think agree. it's a, uh, an interesting perspective to always incorporate into your organization. <laughs> Well, with with that, with with nothing further to say, then, well, Ted Rubin, uh, founder and CEO of Active Engage, thanks so much for being with me. This was a real interesting conversation. I appreciate your time. It was my great pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.